All right, our kids, kids can head back to be with the team in Transformation Station. And if you're a new parent here around Redemption Hill, uh, you feel free to escort your child uh, back to be with our team there. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's indestructible word to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 2 today, starting in verse 19. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, that's page 981. And uh, if you don't own a Bible or just would like a new copy, feel free to take that as a gift from uh, Redemption Hill this morning. Well, uh, the book of Philippians has always been one of my favorite letters that Paul wrote. This man, Paul, who was one of the, the early churches, in fact, most people would say he was the early church's uh, greatest theologian and missionary, uh, he wrote 13 different letters uh, in the New Testament. And so Philippians has always been one of my favorite letters, and it's, it's filled with so many high points, uh, so many great statements about Jesus, about the Christian life, about his resurrection, about why all this matters for us. And uh, just to be honest, you know, if you're familiar with this book, or even if you're not, uh, as you learn about the dynamics that are taking place in this letter, uh, just, just to be frank, if Philippians were an album, like most of us enjoy listening to music, if Philippians were an album, you would probably be tempted to hit skip on uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, okay? And that's not because there's nothing important here, but it's just because, you know, all of the other, you know, songs are so great, and they're just so loaded, just that they move you and your emotions that uh, you just might be, you know, anybody do that? You're like, it's not a bad song, but I just love these other songs so much. I'm just going to bang, bang, Spotify, iTunes. I mean, we all do this, right? And, uh, and so uh, we're, we're not going to skip this morning, uh, and, and a couple of reminders, just as a little side note and, and, and good lesson to be reminded of. You know, Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 5 says that every word of God is flawless. So there's, no, there's nothing wasted here in God's book. And then on top of that, uh, Paul would say in another uh, letter to this guy who we're going to see about uh, today, Timothy, he would say, all scripture is breathed out by God, it's inspired by God, and it's profitable. Okay, so um, this, this section is profitable. And, and, and you're like, okay, so why, why would we maybe be tempted to skip over it? Well, basically because Paul comes across more as a travel agent than he does some like great theologian and missionary here. Okay, he's basically laying out future plans and how to care for these people, uh, you know, in Philippi that he's seen come to faith. And so really he's, he's laying out uh, just these future plans that he has. Uh, for, for himself and his, his companions and for the Philippians. But along the way, I believe we see some of the most profound realities of what it means to follow the way of Jesus here. So um, if you would, I want you to read along with me as we're going to be exposed to two great examples of people who followed the way of Jesus with everything they had. And what we're going to see here in this, this passage is that Jesus wants to move us, okay? Just like Timothy and Epaphroditus represent, okay? He wants to move all of us from a self-centric life to an others-centric life, all right? So let's read these verses together. I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I shortly will come to you also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So these two men, along with Paul, we're going to focus on these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They provide examples of what it looks like to move from a self-centered or self-centric life to an others-centric life. Now, what was so special about these two guys? Let's start with Timothy, okay? Timothy became a Christian under the ministry of Paul. As we've talked about, Paul was one of the great ambassadors of Jesus in the early church. He was one of the great communicators of the news of Jesus. So he would go from town to town and city to city and, and telling people about the news of what Jesus had done in his life, death, and resurrection. And then when people heard the message, just like we do today, um, they say, hey, I want to be all in with Jesus and this change that he offers me from the inside out, revolutionary, comprehensive change that he offers all people. So one of those people was raising their hand and saying, I want in on that. His name was Timothy. And so Timothy uh, not only came to Christ, but he grew in Christ. So much so that as he was maturing in his faith, that the next time Paul visited this city named Lystra, um, he saw Timothy growing. He said, you know what? Um, You need to come with me because I know you would be of much use in this missionary work. And so Timothy became this traveling companion of Paul in his work for Jesus. Now, what we need to know about Timothy is this. Timothy had a relationship with Paul that really, in many respects, was unparalleled. Only two other people in the New Testament will Paul call a son. One dude's name was Titus, the other dude's name was Onesimus. Timothy not only gets that title once, twice, no, not three times, not four times, not five, like six times, Paul calls Timothy a son. And this is not simply because Timothy came to faith under Paul's ministry. It was like a spiritual son as he heard the gospel from Paul. But clearly, there was a strong bond, a deep affection between Paul and Timothy. And so verse 22 spells this out for us. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. 
how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, just for a bit of historical context, this may not surprise you, but uh, children in, you know, the 80s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, they didn't grow up like children today. Okay, so we could talk to some of our university students and we could find out that there are about 1,000, you know, and one opportunities for them to pick a major and to go into literally thousands of different vocational pursuits, right? In fact, I know some of our, you know, tough students and other, you know, colleges and university students, they probably get tired of like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What's your major? right? Anybody get tired of that? Just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a valid set of questions. Don't be afraid to ask them that. And this is kind of a starting point. Um, but, but, but they get, get asked that constantly. Well, guess what? In AD 47, not so much so. And why was that? It was because sons, probably 95% or greater of the time, they went into their father's business, Okay, they, 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 they did that work with him. They saw how he did the work. They were apprenticed under their father. And then they would take on that family business at a point when they were ready to do so. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Timothy's like my son. He's seen my way of life. He's seen how I operate. He sees how I serve Jesus. He sees how I serve Jesus' people, known as the church. And so as he sees it in me, he's just putting it into practice step by step, day by day, year by year. He is like a son to me. We are in this together. And so we should ask then, if if Timothy was like a son to Paul, and he really knew the ins and outs of how Paul operated, then what a great opportunity for us to learn from someone who knew Paul's way, as Paul's way was the way of Jesus, better than anyone else. And so let's think about some principles of what I want to call, uh, you maybe never heard of this term before, and I had not either before this past week, um, others' centrism, all right? Others, you have, like, you have like philosophies or worldviews or systems, you know, out there um, and put a little ism on it. All right, so we're just going to put a little ism on other-centric and we're going to call it other-centrism today. Is that cool? Even if you think it's goofy, you'll probably remember it, all right? So uh, here we go. Uh, number one, other-centrism begins with genuine concern. Look back at verse uh, 19 in 20, okay, Paul says, look, I want to send Timothy to you. And then verse 20, he says, for I have no one like him. The adjective Paul uses to describe Timothy here, the Greek word is isosukos, all right? It means I have no other equal soul, all right? I have no one that is on the same wavelength, who shares the same heartbeat, who is as like-minded as Timothy is to me. And so clearly when it came to it, this doesn't mean that like Timothy, you know, is better than everyone else in every facet of life, all right? But, but clearly Timothy was excelling in the Christian life as Paul was showing, hey, I'm seeking to be like Jesus and I'm going to show you how to be like Jesus. Clearly Timothy was excelling in this. And so I just, I just want to pause and say, you know, like, like as we're reading this, like I think you just got your money's worth today. Like we don't think about it that way just kind of for, you know, to throw out a little, you know, idiom. Okay, like I think you just got your money's worth today because if we heard nothing else than like this, this, this thought of I have no one else like him, I, I don't know about you, but, but my heart just kind of like gravitates toward that. It's like, man, w- would someone ever be able to say that about Tanner? 
I, I have no one else. I have no, and I don't have an equal soul. There's this like mind. There's so much that wants to be like Jesus and is excelling in the work of following him. We should want to excel. And guess what? God wants us to excel. I mean, we think that the God who made the world and everything in it is, is, is kind of just like cool with complacency. A God who is glorious and great and holy, as we sang about this morning, absolutely not. And so when, when we step into the Christian life, the opportunity for us is to excel. And I just want to show you this from a couple of verses that I really love. Uh, Paul, in another letter, he says, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit, okay, it's like when we believe in Jesus, God gives us his Spirit to dwell in us. And now the Spirit is working, right? We saw last week, just go back and read 12 through 18 if you missed. Um, as we work out our salvation, God is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so the Spirit is producing all of these good things in us, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then what does Paul say about this? Against such things, what? There is no law. I didn't understand that verse when I was a kid. I was like, what are you talking about, the law? And like, that's the law is like, it kind of tells me what not to do. And, and, no, what he's saying is there's no restriction here. There's no limit here. You can be as loving and as kind and as patient and as gentle as you can possibly be. Excel. Do this without limits. And this is true for this characteristic of genuine concern as much as it is for any of the other fruit. Like the fruit of the Spirit isn't limited to those nine things. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what about wisdom? What about boldness? What about concern? What about compassion? Yes, 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 yes. All right, so everybody on the same page? Excel. Are you guys, you guys with me? Everybody excited about this? I hope so. All right. So as, 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 as Paul goes on, he's talking about Timothy. He's saying, look, this, this young man is without parallel in terms of, of how he's engaging in this mission to live as Christ, right? Remember that term from chapter 1, verse 21, to live as Christ. Living means Christ. Living equals Christ. And he, he says then in, in, in verse, verse 21, kind of to sum it up, he says, they, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So, so, so just, to, just to backtrack a couple of weeks, and Pastor Chastain you know, preached a couple of weeks ago, look back at verses 3 through 5 of chapter 2. So you just rewind just a little bit. And this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Okay? This is how he wants them to live like Jesus. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. There we are. And, 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 and why, what about all this? Like, what is the summary of all this? He says in verse 5, here's, here's the key. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, like, if you want to look to the other's interest, to do that is to have the mind of Jesus. 
And so right here, Paul, Paul is holding up Timothy as a, as a preeminent example of what it looks like to pour your life out for the sake of others and to not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And what I love about this is how Paul, in verse 20, he says, look, I have no one that's so genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he says, look, everybody's looking for their own, not those of Jesus Christ. So wait, Paul, are you talking about two separate things, like the interest of the people known as the church in Philippi, these Jesus people, and then Jesus, are these two separate things? Absolutely not. They are one and the same. To look after someone else's interest is to look after the interest of Jesus. You guys see that? Why is that? It's because this is the heart of Jesus, right? To not look after, like, so Jesus, who was God, the eternal son of God, wraps on flesh like us. He gets tired, he gets sleepy, he bleeds, he dies, I don't know about you, but I'd say that, if that is true, that is the epitome of humility. So Jesus not only becomes man, but he dies a cruel death in our place that we might be brought back to God again. That whoever believes in this work that Jesus has done for them can have abundant life now, eternal life forever. So all of this is reflecting the heart of Jesus in being the ultimate example of humility. So that's for one. That's why they're not two separate interests, but one interest. But then also it's because when someone goes all in with Jesus, then that person and Jesus are not no no longer two, but they're also one. You follow me? So for me to care about you is to care about Jesus because you and Jesus, if you're all in with Jesus, you guys are not two, but one. This is why, just side note, okay, just, just, just hear, hear me out here. Um, this is why someone can't ever convince me. I love Jesus, but I don't care about Jesus' people, and like God's okay with that. Like, I, I can, I, like, I'm a spiritual person. I can do my own thing. I don't need to relate to other people known as Christians in the context of a church, which a church is just a simply a gathering of Christians, right? So like, you will never be able to convince me unless I have a total revision of my understanding of every page of the Bible, okay, that like, that works itself out. It just, it's upside down. This is why one of our core values as a church is community, right? We want to love one another. We want to serve one another. We want to bear one another's burdens. Jesus invites us into a new family. So now we, we're like, there's a genuine concern. I've already had a couple of conversations with, with you this morning, and there's a genuine concern for what's going on in your life. And I can tell it's reciprocal because you're asking me some of the same questions. That's a beautiful thing. And when we do that, we're looking after the interest of Jesus when we have this genuine concern. So I could say so much more here. Maybe I'll say a couple more things. Um, this, this begins in the heart. Okay, so, so, so Paul says this, this, this key phrase, um, they seek after their own interests, not the interests of Christ. So I think just like we talked about uh, recently, um, this happens, compassion and genuine concern happens at the level of desire. It's happening in our hearts, right? So, so one of the ways, like 
oftentimes, just to be transparent, oftentimes I don't feel like I'm the most compassionate person. I see some of you that you really have that gift of mercy, you really have that gift of compassion, and I want to be more like you as you're more like Jesus. And so one of the ways that, 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 that one of the things I've learned to do in my walk with Jesus is just pray like God give me more compassion. Make me more compassionate. Give me desires that take a greater concern over the welfare of other people. And I see this in, in many ways throughout my life. Right now I see it. This is really cool. My eight-year-old daughter, Parker, and her classmates, they're learning how to uh, do uh, sign language. I'm like, totally, this is not, this is not the alphabet. All right? But she knows the alphabet because there's a young, there's a young girl in her class who uh, actually that's one of the, the primary ways that she communicates. She can communicate better through signing than she can through speech, a verbal speech oftentimes. And so Parker and her classmates are learning sign language. Wow. What a genuine concern to, to, to be able to speak to a classmate in that way. I saw this in the the country of Ecuador, um, after my first year of, of seminary, which is like grad school for pastors, um, I got to take a trip to Ecuador with some of my, my peers and one of our professors, and we went to the city called Guayaquil. It's on the coast, the largest city in Ecuador. And we met this man named Jose. He was a doctor who gave up his uh, official profession, his official medical practice to take his practice into his home and pick up street people who were homeless and they were in really rough shape and he would bring them into his home and care for them and provide food for them and provide medical attention uh, for them. We were just blown away by like, Dr. Jose, like, why, like, how could you give that up to do this and make all of these sacrifices? And he just pointed to his wall. And, and I couldn't read Spanish, but I could see Mateo, like, you know, 25. And Matthew 25, Jesus says, like, if you've done it to them, you've done it to me. He was motivated by a, a genuine concern out of what Christ had done for him in the gospel. So other centrism begins with genuine concern. Then it leads to service, okay? So, so we see this uh, as Paul continues to describe Timothy, and he says in verse uh, 23, he says, I, I hope to send him soon, just as, as how I see it uh, goes with me, and I trust in the Lord shortly, I myself will come also. So, so, so Timothy was serving Paul. We see that in verse 22. And then he wants to send Timothy to them in verse 23 because he knows just as Timothy has served me, so he will serve you. And this is what Christianity is about, right? It's not about power. It's not about privilege and prestige, okay? It is about strength and weakness. It's about finding the first position by taking the last position position. It's about being great by becoming small. And so there's a, a pastor I came across this, this, uh, this, this illustration this week. I just want to read to you, listen carefully, uh, how he brings this home. He just makes it super practical. I, I had to include this here for you today. Uh, he says this, to give my life for Christ appears glorious to pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. 
I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table and saying, here's my life, I'm giving it all. But, listen to this, the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. All right, maybe some of you want to do that this week, right? Go to a meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. And so I'm just going to go off script here, and I've added just a few thoughts myself, okay? So like, uh, bend a listening ear. How about that? Um, help a friend move into a new apartment. Buy someone's dinner. Extend an irresistible invitation to someone that you care about. Maybe I need to stop doing that. They're rolling around now. There's a quarter, right? Follow up with a friend and share, share that burden with them that they mentioned in small group this past week. There's a quarter. Take a meal to a family that just welcomed a child into their home. Man, I'll put 50 cents down on that. Uh, calling someone to pray for them and pray with them when times are tough. Running an errand for a friend who is under the weather. Taking a few hours out of your Easter weekend to serve at our Medford extravaganza. Giving someone a ride when you're crunched for time. Like you know you don't have the 30 minutes, but you're gonna give it anyway because you're not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I'll give you a dime for that. Um, helping a friend prepare for an exam. Volunteering some time so that a parent can get a breather or a couple can get a date night. Showing up a few minutes early on Sunday, which is actually before 10.30. Not hating, just saying, all right? So uh, showing up a few minutes early so that you can, you can provide this environment of hospitality for not just those who are new, but also for those who come regularly. And then Craddock goes on to say, usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. And so it's the, the dozens of decisions you make in a week. It's the hundreds of decisions that you make in a year. It's the thousands of distributions of service and love and kindness that we pile up on our journey through life. And I'm just saying, like when you give out those quarters, I mean, like God loves that. He absolutely loves that. Isaiah 66, I think John might have mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Um, this is the one to whom I look. This is the one whom I esteem. The one who trembles at my word. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit. God loves to use humble people who put others before themselves. 
That's Timothy, all right? Well, what about this guy named Epaphroditus, all right? Let's, let's spend just a little bit of time focusing on how God was using this man named Epaphroditus, okay? So other centrism, we're, 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 get, we're, we're, we're together, right? Okay, it begins with genuine concern. It leads us to service and dropping those nickels, dimes, and quarters, right, for, for the sake of, of other people. But then, but then number three, other centrism vigorously sets aside personal comfort. Look back at verses 25 and 6. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. What a cool name, by the way. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're you know, like, ever going to have a boy in here, and you're, like, looking for a name, all right, you adopt a boy, you know, then um, just maybe, just maybe Epaphroditus, all right? I'm just, you know, biblical name, strong name, and what a great example that, you know, because Paul says, check this out, all right, uh, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, he's my fellow soldier, and he's your messenger and minister to my need. Four, check this out, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Did, did, you, did you catch that? So Epaphroditus is ill, and like, I don't know about you, but when I'm sick, I, I don't mind a little attention, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mind for someone else to be distressed about my illness, okay? So like, this was a great opportunity for Epaphroditus to say, hey, look, I'm ill, and uh, you should be distressed over me, but Epaphroditus is saying, look, if you've heard that I'm ill and you might be distressed, I'm, I'm distressed about you being distressed, he, he, he sets aside his, his present circumstances. He's not caught up with himself, but he's actually concerned about others in a time where he certainly had personal needs of his own. I mean, we understand, like, he should have been getting the get well cards. He should have been, you know, uh, hot meals, maybe some, some flowers or balloons, you know. And, and like Epaphrodite is saying, I don't care about that. I'm just concerned about these people and their concern for me. He knew the words of Jesus in Acts 20 where Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's a challenge for you, okay? The, the next time you think you deserve something, give away what you think you deserve. All right? The next time you deserve something, give away what you think you deserve. This is the cure for self-focus being others-focused. So when you feel like you deserve some encouragement, you ever been there? Absolutely. Um, give someone else some encouragement. When you really wish someone would call and pray with you, why don't, instead of you waiting on that to receive that, why don't you go call in someone and pray for them? When you wish your neighbor would come out with their snowblower and take care of business, all right, why don't you get up out of your warm house or apartment, all right, and go shovel their driveway? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've been guilty of that before. My neighbor has a nice snowblower, and I was saying, like, what's up? You know, wait for Like, no, we we. Go and give what we wish to receive. The cure for self-focus is being others-focused. The question is not what can I receive from them, but what can they receive from me? 
let me just let me just pause and just like I hope I hope that already people have been kind of swirling in your mind. There are some coworkers, right? There are some neighbors. You know, there are some family members, husbands, wives. You know, don't look at each other right now. Um, but but there are some people in our lives that we could probably do a better job serving them because we have this genuine concern, because Jesus is leading us to serve them so that then, because of all of that, we can vigorously set aside our personal comfort to then go and serve those people. It is the way of Jesus. And I I just would say this, like if you want to be a game changer, if you want to be an influencer, you just go and serve other people because I'm telling you, there is something magnetic about people that will humble themselves, and give themselves away for the sake of others. Like, I don't know about you, but when I'm around people like that, I just want to be around them more. It's easy to love people who constantly pour out of themselves to love others. And so then finally, number, number four, others' centrism gladly makes sacrifices. 27 through 30, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Indeed, Epaphroditus was ill. He was so ill that he was, check this out, three words, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus not only sets aside his personal comfort, but he is willing to set aside his entire life for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom and the sake of others. He reflects what Paul says in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is having this conversation uh, with these people in Ephesus, okay, another letter that Paul wrote, the one before this one in Philippians, and he's telling them, he's looking like, hey, uh, I don't count my life worth anything to me if only I can finish the race that God has given me, the, the, the task of testifying to the grace of God. So Paul's saying, look, my life takes the back seat. So much so that I will give it away for the sake of God and the people around me. We saw this in verse 17. Look back at a few verses before this this section when Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 2, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. In other words, like Paul is saying, look, I can pour my life out day after day. I can receive persecutions, imprisonments, and beatings, as well as just the, the grind of ministry when I'm working these 12 to 14 to 16 hour days, preaching, caring, loving, sharing. I'll do all of this and I'll do it every single day. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your soul. I'm going to do it all because I'm glad to do it. I am glad to sacrifice for you. And so Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they set us an example of what it means to be all in with Jesus. Say, you know what? This is so much not about me that I would gladly make sacrifices for the sake of other people. 
And I think, like, I think, just be encouraged right here. Like, I think that God, from the very beginning of the time that we started Redemption Church, I feel like God has been gracious to put people into our midst that really get this. They get that life is not about them primarily, it's about God primarily, and then secondarily, it's about people before me. And so we have been blessed to have so many people that gladly make sacrifices for the sake of others. But I just got to tell you, we need to pray that that continues. And if you're new around here, I want to invite you into this selfless, serving, sacrificial life that God calls all of us to because that's when not only will we be making a difference in one another's lives, okay, but this is when we will make the greatest difference in our city. So Tim Keller says this, there is no more practical index of whether your church has movement dynamics, all right? In other words, like we're going somewhere. We're not sedentary, we're not static, all right? Like there's something good going on here and we're making a difference in our city, all right? There is no more practical index of whether your church has movement dynamics than examining whether you have a culture of sacrifice. If the top leaders of the church are the only ones making all the sacrifices, then you don't have a movement culture. Not not to boast or brag at all. But I can tell you that your pastors make sacrifices. And I can tell you that the leaders, our, our group leaders and our team leaders, like I, I see their life, I know what they're I know the, the, their schedule and their work. Like I can tell you they're making sacrifices. And so are many, many, many of you. And so the invitation is that not just a collection of the church would serve to the point of being sacrificial, but that we all would step into that. And that we would live it out on a day-by-day basis. I mean, I just highlighted about 16 ways to serve others in your personal life, right? But, but then if you want to break that down and say, what's the best way to kind of take a step to be sacrificial in the life of our church when it comes to serving? You can probably already answer this, this, this point that I'm about to make, right? What do we talk about all the time? Connect with a group. Serve with a thank you. Serve with a team. And so... For some of you, you heard Vision Sunday about a month ago when we talked about steps change stories. And when we take steps with God and for God, that he's going to change our story and the story around us. And so one of those story changing steps, the focus for this first part of the year, this first four months of the year, was to serve with the team. So if you haven't stepped into a team to serve with a team, then we're just saying, hey, why not once a month? Just one Sunday a month, just a couple extra hours out of your week. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not just, I mean, that may be sacrificial for you. I'm not sure that it is for everyone, but it's a step of selfless service. At minimum, it's a step of selfless service. So perhaps for some of you, you're saying, hey, once a month, I'll I'll serve with a team. Maybe for some of you that are on a team, you'll go to your team leader and say, you know what? In this season of, of my life right now, I'm not good for one a month, I'm good for two a month. The essence of love is giving ourselves away for the benefit of someone else. And so as we think about the beauty of serving, what Paul says is that we should honor such people. Verse 29, look at the end. We should honor such people. We should receive them with joy. 
And so this, this language just reminded me of a great, you know, reality that's taken place in our city over the past uh, month. Uh, you know, some of you heard about uh, Super Bowl 51 and uh, the greatest comeback in, in NFL, you know, uh, Super Bowl history. Uh, some people have called it the second greatest comeback ever next to the resurrection of Jesus, all right? I mean, that's, kind of like, that's a little much for me, all right? I don't want to go there. I'm just saying I saw that. Um, so that was definitely the greatest comeback ever. Thank you. All right, God, if that was, you know, kind of disrespectful, forgive me for saying that up here today. Um, but, uh, you know, so this, this great comeback was amazing. And so we had fans waiting out in the freezing temperatures and snow at Gillette Stadium, waiting to receive back with gladness and joy and honor all of these football players, even, you know, people like Gronkowski. Um, And so then the city of Boston fired up the duck boats, and we had a duck boat parade. And, and the elders were so excited. I was like, hey, why don't we modify our elder meeting? Let's take care of business in a couple hours, then we'll kind of move the elder meeting to, you know, Tremont Street, and we'll honor our team as the rest of our city is celebrating this victory. Okay, so uh, you can see here this uh, awesome picture. Uh, we were having a pretty good time. This is a picture it's a, it's a small picture, but it's a picture of how we should treat one another as we selflessly serve and make sacrifices for one another. More important than a, than a, than a Super Bowl victory is how we're living our lives quarter at a time to pour ourselves out for the sake of other people. And so you know what? Here's, here's, here's a great word for you, all right? Then we're going to stop right here. But, but if you are serving, you should be honored for your serving. I want to thank you for your service to the Lord and to Redemption. So if you're serving, then here you go. And uh, by the way, if you've been served at Redemption, let's just give it up for one another here this morning, all right? That should be, everybody should be clapping because you've been served today. All right, so get with it. All right, thank you very much. Um, but listen to this. If you're never recognized for your service in this life, Jesus has the last word and Jesus will honor you. Matthew 25, Jesus says this. Then the king, that's Jesus, right? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Come. The inheritance is yours. Step into the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I'll take it. Honor enough right there. Let's seek that. Let's pursue that. Let's live that together as the people known as Redemption Hill. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. God, we pray that we would be compelled by their example this morning. God, we ask that we would 
not look to our own interests primarily. We're really good at that, but that we would be other-centric and look to the interests of others. And God, that we would gladly make sacrifices and in so doing be so much like our Savior who made the ultimate sacrifice in dying in our place. God, would you move us as the people known as Redemption Hill Church to be that kind of people for one another and for the sake of our city as we love as you have loved us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.